talking more about the day with it being special Sunday, but I want to jump right into our lesson. We are continuing our series on uh, one month to live. Now, we're taking about two months to talk about it, so I hope we're, we're all right with that. But have you ever used or heard the phrase, accidents happen? You ever heard that? Ever said that? Usually we do that because we want to kind of uh, soften the blow of something. You know, before something happens, we tell, especially our little ones, be careful, be careful. But after they spilled the milk or after they've broken the glass, and we know it wasn't intentional, and so we say, accidents happen. That's okay. Now, sometimes we say it through clenched teeth, but we still say it because we realize that accidents do happen. There have been times in my life where people have said that to me, not just when I was little and I spilled the milk. Maybe like two months ago, when I left early on a Sunday morning, I always get here early, and I left before dark to, to get here to study, and um, it was a week before my daughter's wedding, all the children were in, it was great having a house full, but it also meant our driveway looked like a parking lot. While I was in just routine habit, I opened the garage door, I backed out and smashed right into my future son-in-law's car. <laughs> what do you say to that? <clears throat> Welcome to the family. Uh, this is a warning. Uh, what, what do you say to that? He was so gracious. Accidents happen, right? But what about when it's not a car or a glass of milk or a broken glass? What about when it's a dream? What about when it's your life? Does that phrase apply then? Can you say accidents happen? It doesn't seem to fit when you explain to your children why you missed out on so much of their childhood because your job was just so demanding. Well, accidents happen. It doesn't seem to fit when you talk to your wife trying to explain this affair that has just rocked your world. Well, accidents happen. Is that what you're going to say to your family when they've turned away from God because you never quite made time to be the spiritual leader of your family? Well, accidents happen. It doesn't fit at all, and we know that. Though we are good-intentioned people, we mean the best. For so many of us, we get captured by this phrase, accidental living, where let life just happen. And it's not like we're living anything on purpose and ask, where am I going? So today, I want to talk about, I want us to think about, if you had one month to live, the very opposite of accidental living, and that is leading intentionally. Now, it's not a chapter in the book, but if you stop and think about it, if you just had a, a little while to live, you would want to lead intentionally. I mean, think about it. It would not be about that last month, thinking about Maybe a vacation you never took, or the car you never got to drive, or the job promotion that never quite came around. If you had just that amount of time, you're thinking about people. You're thinking about relationships. You're thinking about the things that matter the most. If you had one month to live, you'd be asking questions like, what kind of son? What kind of daughter? What kind of husband or, or wife? What kind of friend? What kind of coworker have I been? What kind of difference have I made? If you had one month to live, maybe we would make time, make time to write that note, to make that call, to reach out to that person, to see the one you have influence over. If Oswald Chambers is right, and I believe he is, leadership is influence. 
I put that on the top of your study guide because I want you to get that. Leadership is influence, and if that's the case, we all have a circle of influence, and in that way, we are all a leader because people are watching us, and we influence them. And therefore, in some ways, we are leading them. Now, some of us may have a small circle. Some of us may have a larger circle, but we all lead others. Today, I want to look at a great example of an intentional leader. It's the Apostle Paul. Paul challenges us to think about leading intentionally, even in our relationships, in our priorities, the way we go about our life, whether we had one month to live or not. You know, I think if you ask Paul, what would you do if you had one month to live? He would say, you mean I got a month? Because he lived his life so intentionally, and we know so much about him that he didn't know if he had even a month to live. And so everything he did was on purpose. Listen to what he, he writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning in verse 23. You remember this about him. I've been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've labored and toiled. I've often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst. I've often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. Time and again, Paul knows death is knocking at his door. You know, the book of Acts tells his story of his life. It begins with his conversion story, and then the rest of the book kind of shares his journeys, all these people, these churches where he taught the gospel and helped establish these churches, and later he would write to them. This is what it means to, to lead in tension. This is what it means to follow the Lord, and we've got that. It's, it comprises so much of our New Testament. So I want to define leadership really by just using Paul's words from his example. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. That's what Paul tells us to do. And think about that as you think about leadership. If you had one month to live, could you say that to those who mean the most to you? I think this verse defines intentional leadership. If you want to follow along, just open your Bibles to Acts chapter 16. The verses will be on the screen, but you may want to read it out of your own Bible, and that would be great. I want to study from the book of Acts and just notice, what does this look like, Paul? How do you do this? How do you lead intentionally? And if you're filling the blanks, here's the first one. We learn from Paul that to lead intentionally, we must first follow closely. That's where it starts. Paul knew that his effectiveness was dependent on his being consistent or being faithful and being a follower. That's where it starts. He could not effectively lead people where he wasn't going himself. Follow me, he said, as I follow Christ. And that's simple to say, but think about how profound that is. It starts with following closely. In Acts 16, he has this dream about a family in Macedonia crying out for help. So he drops everything, and he goes to give them the good news. He's following God there. And then later in the book of Acts, we read about this warning to Paul. If he goes to Jerusalem, it's going to be the end. His friends are saying, don't go, Paul. Don't go. But Paul said he's ready to live and die for the Lord. And so he goes. And one thing is certain. If you followed Paul, if you followed Paul, you would find yourself closer to Jesus. 
Because that's where he was. That's how he lived. Certainly Paul followed Jesus. Sometimes it was inconvenient. He experienced ridicule. People didn't think too much of him. He was so much of a fanatic. He went against everything that he had been taught, or so they thought. Sometimes it was not just uncomfortable. Sometimes it was dangerous. Even at that verse we just read a few moments ago. But Paul understood that his faithfulness as a follower is what allowed him to be intentional and to lead with this intention. There's an email that made the circuit uh, a little while back. Maybe you saw this one. There's a progression of three pictures, and I want to show these to you. Maybe you remember this. Here's the first picture. So you got the... the So surely the mother duck sees that and will go around, right? So go ahead and advance to slide two. Well, the best way to get from point A to point B is a straight line, or so ducks think. So she just goes straight across. And if you notice there, we're already missing one. Do you count them? And go ahead and bump to slide three. Yeah, not all of them made it. Now, I'm, a, I'm an optimist. I want to think, well, they landed down in water and splashed, and they kind of floated down to the pond, and she went down there, and they re reunited and had lunch, you know. Uh, but the whole idea, what they, if you think about it, for ducks, it may be funny. Maybe it's humorous to see the story. But what about when it's people? You're leading. You've got these impressionable ones following you. Maybe you're a coach. Maybe you're a parent. Maybe it's your position at work. Maybe you're the neighbor. You're in that position. And those who are following you, where are they going? Where are you leading them? You are leading. We'll make sure you get that. You are influencing. You are leading. People are watching you. And for those who follow you, the question is, where are they going to find themselves? If they follow you, are they going to find themselves falling into a pit? Are they going to find themselves going where they shouldn't go? What are they going to be passionate about? What are they going to learn from you as, as to what's important, what really matters? Here's where God has been convicting me. I want, I want to make sure you get this. I put it as a blank because I want you to fill it in. My most intentional focus, this is for all of us, my most intentional focus must be my relationship with Jesus. Think about that. It must be my relationship with Jesus. Now, this can be difficult because it's not tangible. It's hard to measure. So sometimes we kind of get them out of order a little bit, and we talk about church and going to church. And like, if I go to church, therefore my relationship is right. Sometimes we even say, well, they quit church. We don't quit church. What they've done, they've, they've stopped following Jesus, and that's why they're not coming to worship. But you can still come to worship. You can still be at church and not be following Jesus. Where it starts, the most intentional focus must be my relationship with Jesus. Now, for me, as a husband to my wife, as a father to my children, and as your preacher, my most important role is my relationship with the Lord. Doesn't matter what kind of husband I am, what kind of provider I am, what kind of guidance I give my children. It's not that I and to be a better communicator. The most important focus has to be Jesus, following closely. You never move past that. 
Like, it's like you start there, and that's really all it is, and everything comes from that. And if you're struggling to influence some people in your life where you really want to make a difference, ask yourself, am I following Jesus? What's my relationship like? And here's the irony. Sometimes we can get so caught up in leading that we forget to follow. Paul didn't get it that way. Paul understood the, the whole sequence. It's first following. And that is what propels us. That's the engine. That's the definition. That helps us to see. That's how we lead intentionally. Paul models that for us. The Washington Post had an article about some shepherds in Turkey. They were taking a break, eating some breakfast, and they were kind of watching their sheep just, you know, just over a ways. And they had like 1,500. They were all there together. And they were surprised when they were watching over the sheep as they're trying to just take a bite to eat. One of the sheep just jumps off a cliff. And then another one jumps off. And then another one jumps off. And then one after another, all 1,500 just jump off the cliff. And they were in horror just, just kind of watching all this. They just couldn't believe this was going on. Well, now, the good news of the story is that only 400 of them died. As the article said, the, the other 1,100 landed on a, well, a big pile of wool. Let's just put it that way. Again, that's the optimist coming out here. But here's what they said. They interviewed one of the, the shepherds. And they said, well, surely at some point, one of them would stop and say, I'm not going to do that. I'm not just going to blindly follow. But they did. You would think they would say, you know, that's a bad idea. Don't go there. You knew that was coming. I had to do it. Following. Leading. It happens all the time. Some of you have seen this with great frustration with people, people you care about. The mistakes are made generationally, and the sins of the father are seen in the next generation. The neglected becomes the neglector. The abused becomes the abuser. The children in divorce, divorce. It didn't have to be that way. Surely somebody will say, we don't have to go off the cliff. We don't have to follow. But it's amazing how that happens. Surely at some point, somebody will stand up and say, no, I'm going to be different. I'm not going to follow that. Sometimes you see people follow in a destructive pattern. What we need is to make an intentional choice to follow in a life-giving pattern. On the positive side, you can see that at church. Someone decides to give their life to Jesus and confess their faith and, 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 and answer his call to baptism. And then maybe a friend of theirs will say, I want to do that too. Or maybe it's a son or, or maybe it's a parent. And there's like this domino effect in a good way. It's a peer pressure in a good way. You're following what you should be following. So to lead intentionally, we must follow closely. Well, here's the second thing we can learn from Paul. He shows us that to lead intentionally, we must act purposely. So go from Acts 16 over to chapter 19. I want to read a passage from Acts 19. And on the surface, it seems like a standard story. Just kind of read through and get the details, and really it is. But that's really where the application lies. That's where we learn about this. It's a perfect example 
of everyday intentional leadership. In Acts 19, Paul arrives in the city of Ephesus. If you map out his journey here, you'll find that he was very intentional about where he goes and how he goes and what he does. It's, it's not random. It's not like he wakes up and goes, what are we going to do today? He's got a plan. He's got a purpose. So he rises in the city and he follows the plan. Look there in chapter 19, verse 8. It says, Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly, spoke boldly there for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. And if you're familiar with Paul, you're familiar with the book of Acts, you know this was his pattern. This is kind of what he did. He went to the synagogue first to preach to the Jews. He says here he was arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. Look in verse 9. But some of them became obstinate. They refused to believe and publicly maligned the way. Talking about the Christians. So Paul left them. He took the disciples with him and had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This went on for two years so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. Do you get that? Paul is very intentional. He's the man on a mission. He knows the plan. First he starts in the synagogue talking to the Jews. And then he moves from there and talks to the Gentiles, the Greeks. And he stays there until everybody in the whole area has had a chance to hear the gospel. That was his plan. Look at Romans 15, verses 19 and following. Paul explains how it's all mapped out here. So from Jerusalem all the way around Illyricum, I have, I, have, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. Act purposely. Have a plan. Know where you're going. Paul was acting with the purpose. He began with the end in mind. He knew what he was going to do. And every day he went there. So the question is, in your life, in your everyday life, are there some, what about your influence? Are there some relationships? Are there some connections? Where others are watching you, where others have said, you know, that's what I, I want to follow her. I want to follow him. That's the direction I need to go. That's why we push so much for premarital counseling before a couple gets married. Because we want to talk about living in a marriage with intention. To do all you can from day one, even before day one, to make your marriage the most. And the reason we do that is because we've all seen it just a few years down the road. It's not really a marriage. They're just living together. Just kind of cohabitating. They've lost their passion. They've lost their zeal. It's not really anything the way God intended and not the way they intended. But there they are. Nobody gets married and says, okay, let's give it a couple of years and then we're just going to come plateau out and we're just going to go through. No. But yet it happens all the time because they're not living life with purpose. You've got to start with the end in mind. And if you want to have a passionate, fulfilling, love-filled relationship, this is what you've got to do. Same with our children. We've got to be intentional about parenting. It's not about just doing the laundry and making sure there's groceries and making sure homework is done. Much more intentional about that. Some of the best advice I ever received about parenting was to be intentional. I'm not saying I was the best parent, but it sure helped me. Because the way I was challenged was to look at each of your children, their age, where they are, and then prayerfully ask them, God, what do they need of me? 
And then let that be your prayer. Put that on your to-do list. If you're a list maker, you put that on there. This is what this child of mine, this son, my daughter, what they need of me now. And it opens your eyes for opportunity to, to speak about that. And you're praying about that. And you're not just another week is gone and you've got the groceries done and the lawn is mowed and, and the bills are paid and they're a turn around, they're another year older. But it's parenting with an intention. As a parent, we do not leave that up to chance. This past week started the SEC basketball tournament, culminates today. Some of you have been really into that. You don't have to be a sports fan to know that to be a coach, I mean, you got to know what you're doing because especially basketball, it's a game of strategy, and there's all kinds of plans, and you have to change the plans. You see them in the huddle all the time. They're talking. They're scribbling out. Here's what you do. Here's what you don't do. Imagine this year that your favorite team got a new coach. And this new coach, you know, had a great record and great intention, and, and they talked about winning, but he only came to work about two days a week. Only came to work about two days a week. When they show up for those two days, they don't do a lot of coaching, not much encouragement, not much constructive criticism. And they get a point in the game when everything depends on the play. How are you going to handle? What's next? And the coach says, well, you, you, you guys, y'all just work it out. You know it's not going to go well because you're not coaching. You're not doing your job. Everyone on the team, they have uniforms, but they know that's all they got. They have no hope at all. I share that story, that illustration, because without intention, that can be our families. We're at work five days a week. 40, 60 hours. We're at home too. We can talk about family, but how much are we really intentional about those days? We don't do a lot of intentional encouragement, constructive criticism. When things are on the line, we can be so busy, so preoccupied without even thinking, so we all just work it out. And we're failing our families. There's no real intentional leading. Here's the challenge. Sometimes we confuse good intentions with purposeful actions. Isn't that true? We've got good intentions. We mean well, but we confuse that with actually carrying it out and doing something. I can say I know I'm a good-willed husband, a good-willed father, a good-willed co-worker, a good-willed friend. We want the best in those situations, have the best intentions, but... We know good intentions are not enough. How many times have you been convicted to want to do something good and it stopped right there? We've all done it, haven't we? You've been convicted you want to do something good and that's all you got was that conviction. There was no follow-through. James 1.22, you know the verse, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, but do what it says. Don't deceive yourself. Sometimes we can deceive it. Well, I'm in church, so I've got it together. At least I'm doing that right. Well, that is good, but that's not all there is to it. What are these purposeful actions that we should have? Let me share from a book called The Leadership Challenge. Sold more than 1.5 million copies. These two authors did uh, thousands of surveys to find out Five intentional practices of an effective leader. And I want to share them with you because 
What you will notice in every one of these is that Jesus excelled in all five of them. Let me share them with you. See if you think I'm right. Practice number one, model the way. It's got to go first. Model the way. Remember Luke 9, 23, if anyone would come after me, Jesus said, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. If we're going to follow Jesus, it means we've got to do what he's done. And that's the beauty of Jesus, because he went first. He's not asking us to do anything that he hasn't already done. He set the example. He was baptized. So when he asked us to do the same, you know, we can't say, but you, we can't even say it. Because he has done it. He has gone first. At some point, I must exercise compassion by doing something. You model the way. Number two, inspire a shared vision. Think about that. As Jesus called those fishermen to drop their nets and become fishers of men. Bigger purpose. Bigger vision. Bigger ideas to live for. He inspired them to a higher calling. And how are you doing that in your circle of influence? Maybe something as simple as speaking life. That's what we talked about, joy. This world is hungry for that kind of message. You share an inspired vision. Number three, you challenge the process. Jesus continually challenged the person or the process. That's why the religious leaders were so bothered by him because he wasn't afraid of the difficult conversations. He would ask the questions. He would give the right answers. And it made the people squirm, but Jesus wasn't afraid. He didn't back down. And an intentional leader doesn't sweep things under the rug. He doesn't say everything's okay when it's not okay, being a peace lover instead of a peacemaker. They don't let things go. Instead, they will challenge the person. They'll challenge the process when necessary. Number four, you enable others to act. And this one just blows me away. But Jesus did this. Jesus, the Son of God, came and established his kingdom on earth. And then he left it in the hands of 11 ordinary men. If you think about that, enable others to act. Now, he provided them training. He showed them the way. And most of all, he gave them the gift of the Holy Spirit so they were never alone. But he gave them ministry opportunities, times to step up to the place, and then he left. It was up to them. Are you putting people that you have influence over in a position where they can act in a way they've been taught? And then number five, encourage the heart. Jesus encouraged Peter. For his confession. He encouraged Zacchaeus for his change of heart. He encouraged that Gentile soldier for his faith. Intentional leadership means you notice growth. You're engaged. You're aware. You see the contribution of others. And you celebrate it. So as a leader, when's the last time you left that note of encouragement? When's the last time you said, way to go? When's the last time you said, I appreciate you for what you've done? Leading intentionally isn't about just having good intentions. It's purposeful action. And then number three, the last thing from Paul, to lead intentionally, we must live urgently. Don't you see this in Paul? I mean, he wrote about it over and over again. In Ephesians, Colossians 4, verse 5, the idea about living urgency. Look at Colossians 4, 5. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Make the most. There's no coasting here. There's no going through the motions here. Make the most of every opportunity. 
in this sense of urgency, this is the way Paul lived. It's so inspiring to watch. Flip back to Acts 16. Look at Acts 16, beginning of verse 6. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. You see, they're just following Jesus. And then verse 8. So they passed Mysia and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, Come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we, here's Luke writing, we got ready at once to, to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. That phrase, at once, is sometimes translated immediately. And you see this over and over again in the book of Acts. At once, immediately. There's no hesitation. There's a sense of urgency. That's the way Paul lived. That was his life. And when I think about this series, if you've got one month to live, there's something we kind of like about it. I mean, we don't want to think about death at all, but to think about if you had one month to live, it's sort of liberating, you know? Like, you know, if I just had one month to live, I could just kind of quit my... I'd be the person I want to be. I wouldn't have all these stressors of daily life. Went to the doctor and he said, you got 30 days to live. Then suddenly it's like, hey, I can make the most of it. And while we can think about it from that angle as far as being maybe liberating or inspiring, here's the flip side of that coin. It doesn't work. How many people have you seen, have I seen, when... They were faced with that moment, and they didn't change. They didn't change at all. Research backs this up. According to Fast Company magazine, when people are faced with a life-or-death situation, they rarely make changes. Cited a survey where people were diagnosed with heart disease and were told, you either need to change your eating and exercise habits or you're going to die. Nine out of ten people did not change. Doesn't surprise us, does it? This can be explained by a behavioral principle that's called as now, so then. As now, so then. The idea is that who you are, who you are, and what you decide to do now is really overwhelmingly going to influence your choice, your decision, how you live. As now, so then. So if you don't do it now, you're not going to do it then. And to some degree, you and I have done that. You want to start a new exercise regime, you know, and so you've got to start that at a good time to start, like the first of the month, you know, or maybe the first of the year, but say the first of the month. So we wait, we say, I'm going to start doing that the first of the month. And so the first of the month, you say, I'm going to get up 30 minutes early, and I'm going to walk or get on the treadmill or do my exercise. And the snooze hits, and you hit it, you think, I'll start tomorrow or next. Same with the diet, you know, because you think this is the day of my diet. And then you, you go to work and they say, hey, we're going to do lunch today. And it shows up and it's, well, I'll start my diet tomorrow. And we, we've done this on a number of things. We've all experienced it. We've pushed to the next tomorrow. As now, so then. But it's not just exercise. 
or how we eat. I'm going to start being the spiritual leader of my family. I'm going to start praying more. I'm going to start being a more generous person. How many times have we said that? How many times have we thought that? How many times has that been our intention, but we never followed through? And here's the thing. The more often you have been convicted by the Holy Spirit to do good, to take that step, to be the leader, to give, to act on your compassion, and you say no, the more easy it is to say no again and again. We're convicted, but we say no. And we don't follow through. The easier it gets. As now, so then. Let me close by sharing this quote. It's from Bruce Thieleman. He's a preacher. I don't know anything about him, but I want to share these words. He said, please don't say anything to me about tomorrow. Tomorrow is the word the Bible does not know. If you can find me any place in Scripture where the Holy Spirit of God says, Tomorrow I will step down from this pulpit and never step into it or any other pulpit for as long as I live. The Holy Spirit never says tomorrow. The Holy Spirit says today. 2 Corinthians 6, 2, Now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. Hebrews 3, 15, Today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Don't say tomorrow. Shakespeare said tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow. Lights for fools the way to dusty death. The word is today. I think he's right. In the next few moments, we're going to sing a song, what we call an invitation song. I want it to be a time of worship. I want it to be a time of, uh, of decision, maybe a time of prayer. It's I am mine no more. And what I want us to do is to be intentional with this. And so maybe for you, it's just a prayer. God, where are you leading me? How do I need to follow you more closely? What, what is my next step? How do I need to respond to this? And for most of us, that's going to be private. The prayer for God, just, hey, here's what I need to do. To maybe reveal the next day or the next week. Here, here, here's your next step. Here's how you can grow. Here's how you can be more intentional and leading. But for others, it may be a time to step out. To follow the example of someone else. To confess your faith and answer his call to baptism. Let him make you a new creation. And who knows who will follow your step. And they'll also be baptized. And they'll think about their faith. Let's stand and sing and worship.